the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode number 22. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge, and welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. On the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners, and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and the perspective of on-duty law enforcement officers, giving you both angles of discussion. Today, I'm going to be joined by Rob Vadis. If you don't know who Rob is, you need to Google that. He's probably the most successful law enforcement shooter in PPC uh, ever. Also a uh, top-notch Bianchi Cup champion, right? Like, the guy's won it all. We're going to talk about competition training versus defensive shooting training. First, let's get our sponsors. Let's get some sponsor messages going here. New sponsor this week, CCW Safe. If you guys don't know CCW Safe, I'm going to put the link in the show notes. They're the best legal service company for concealed carriers on the market. They have no rival. The Off Duty On Duty Podcast, we're happy to be able to offer you a 10% discount through CCWSafe.com on your membership. Go to ccwsafe.com forward slash off duty 10. Also, EDC Belt Company, manufacturer of the foundation belt. It's the most comfortable, functional, concealed carry belt on the market, hands down. Also brought to you by Range Tech Bluetooth Shot Timers. Every serious shooter should have a shot timer to measure speed and accuracy on the range. The new Range Tech Bluetooth Timer is the most affordable, high tech, and most feature rich timer on the market. It's $25 less than any competing shot timer. The Range Tech connects to your phone via Bluetooth and gives you the accuracy and power of a dedicated shot timer, along with the advantages of online scoring, auto scoring, and much, much more. Learn more at rangetechtimer.com. All right, CCW Safe jumping on board as a sponsor of the Off Duty On Duty podcast. If you're not familiar, they have actually successfully defended a person involved in a defensive shooting, a self-defense shooting, who was, albeit wrongfully charged with a, uh, I think, a second-degree murder. So, uh, good to have those guys in your corner. And I know all those guys. Uh, my dad actually works for them. Uh, so, it's a great company, great people. There's nobody I, w- I would rather have in my corner than those guys. So... If you are an off-duty law enforcement and you're not in your jurisdiction or you're a concealed carrier following all the laws applicable to your state, it's good to have CCW safe in your corner. Let's bring in our guest. Our guest, Rob Vadis. Rob, how are you today in uh, Harper's Ferry, West Virginia? How's, how's, uh, how's life in the WV? It's awesome. It's awesome. Thanks for thanks for uh, for getting on today and uh, and catching up. But the weather's uh, you know cool enough to appreciate uh, West Virginia and not so cold that you hate it. So it's a pretty good day. That's awesome. Shooting weather, which I rarely experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. You know, being a being a Florida boy for a lot of my life, everything revolves around sweating or or getting rained on. So we're uh, we're pretty pretty lucky up here that um, as long as it's not snowing, it's it's uh, it's a it's a good day to shoot. So you're at the 
the border patrol's uh, advanced firearms training facility there? Yeah, so it's actually Customs and Border Protection overall. Uh, their their uh, advanced training center is here in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia. So you know, sort of structurally or infrastructure wise, I guess Border Patrol you know has roughly nineteen plus thousand Border Patrol agents, um, and CBP, OFO, and other components have you know um, similar numbers. So total in CBP, we're talking about you know like forty plus thousand you know armed officers in some capacity. And the place where all of those officers come for their advanced level of training, whether it's in uh, use of force instruction, less lethal use of force instruction, leadership, you know, you name it, uh, really all sort of happens here at this facility in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia. Sounds like a, uh, an awesome grown-up playground, you know, at a, <laughs> a great training facility. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it, it definitely is. Oddly enough, you know, you kind of, you kind of wonder where, where kind of good things happen and where people come up with ideas, especially, you know, being in the field or, you know, being in law enforcement period, you kind of wonder in a big agency where these policies come from and where these training standards come from and, and so how people end up on a destination. And this is it, this is where, you know, sort of where the sort of, you know, the, the minds come together along with the field and kind of it all merges into one, you know, hopefully good message. So. Yeah. And, and through social media, I've been, I've been kind of tracking on uh, you're doing, some advanced firearms training, uh, mainly handgun centric, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the, I mean, I love them all and I, I teach them all, I shoot them all, but you know, I really live in the, in the pistol world. That's sort of, um, you know, my meat and potatoes, so to speak. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a purist in that way. I always think if you can shoot a pistol, well, you can shoot anything. Well, so. Yeah, I completely agree. Be it that you have this just awesome record with competition shooting, uh, with PPC Bianchi Cup Metallic Division, and uh, you're now holding the record for the the number of national police shooting championships won at 11. Now that's awesome. Congratulations. Uh, Appreciate it. Thank you. I know you broke a lot of hearts with that one, so I was like, "Go, Rob." My my question for you, like especially when it pertains to like civilians uh, that, that are. The, the armed populace and then law enforcement, right? A lot of our law enforcement training historically coming from the revolver era was PPC centric. And a lot of our civilian based counterparts uh, seem to really dive into like the USPSA, the action pistol stuff. And I kind of wanted to get some insight from you on when you're training for a competition versus you're training defensive shooting, like tell me some of the, some of the like really finite things that are different between the two. Yeah. So, you know, I think the reason why it's difficult to either for people to wrap their head around that, or it's difficult to explain because each one um, lends itself to the other. You know, if you're a really good accuracy shooter, then obviously you're going to, so that those skill sets are going to bring you over to a speed side. If you're a really good uh, speed shooter, it's going to bring you over to the accuracy side in a way. Um, and then on top of that, if you're really good at real world situations, which boils down to stress mitigation, you know, multitasking, stress management, sort of clarity of mind in the middle of, of that conflict, you know, and if you're really good, if you're, if you're that type of a person that's going to do well in that environment, then that also lends itself to those other skill sets. So they all overlap. If you were to sort of picture that 
that circle chart, you know, where they all kind of meet in the middle yeah. and those overlapping circles, you know, that's really kind of what it boils down to. Um, by no means, if you're a good competition shooter, does that mean you're going to be a great gunfighter? And if you're a really good conflict guy and you've been in, in a lot of engagements or whatever your history or background is, doesn't mean you're a good shooter at all, right? So one isn't dependent on the other either. So they can be separated, you know? a survival mentality is going to be a survival mentality. You know, that's, I think that's inherent in us from the beginning. Go ahead. So when it boils down to like preparing for competition versus, versus sort of real life, I think that, um, you know, the preparation for competition is based on what your goal is. And that's really specific. The hard part about real world preparation is that you have no idea what your goal is going to be. Um, It doesn't always mean winning. It doesn't always mean going home. It doesn't always mean, hitting a target, right? So you don't know what your end goal is until the moment you're in it. And that's what makes real life conflict so difficult. Whereas a competition, like I know I got to put the bullet in this spot and I got to do it probably faster than anybody else puts a bullet in that spot. And if I do that, then I win. Boop, it's very simple. You know, <laughs> I like that example. PPC training. A lot of, uh, a lot of law enforcement agencies, like I've said hundreds of times now on the podcast from years past have have been so PPC centric at like absolute marksmanship above all else, even, even above practicality to some degree, teaching fundamentals based around revolvers, even though we've been in the semi-auto world for about 30 years. Um, and I've seen that be be kind of a detriment to certain agencies, and especially when you start trying to incorporate some form of tactics, moving and shooting, such so on, right? And you mentioned earlier, sure. you, you said uh, that Bianchi Cup shooting metallic sight Bianchi Cup kind of bridged the gap between those uh, between like PPC and USPSA, so. Talk to that a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, um, if you look at historically um, the pathway of competition, you know, we started off where all competitions start is based in accuracy because let's face it, the guns and the people and the gear and the bullet and everything else was not inherently accurate. So the very first sort of stage was to see how accurate you could get. And then once there was a high degree of accuracy, then it started lending itself to time limit. And then once it lends itself to time limits, then you start dealing with speed because there is a time limit. And then you start getting into speed and then you start getting into movement. It, it progresses itself to be more and more difficult. Um, but, you know, I think that um, uh, when they created the Bianchi Cup, so to speak, and that course of fire was was generated, it was the merger of of all the known shooting sports at the time, which is why I love it. It was, it was uh, what was then combat shooting. Um, it was... PPC, it was bullseye. So there's four main stages in Bianchi that overlap all of those shooting sports. It was supposed to be for law enforcement and civilian and everybody kind of come together and figure out, you know, who's really the best when you merge all these skill sets. Um, If you're a super athletic guy and you're a pretty darn good shooter, you're going to do really well at USPSA if you can manage your stress and if you can have good stage analysis and stuff like that. Um, If you're a super accurate shooter, you're probably going to do pretty good at PPC or at bullseye or something like that. Um, so in Bianchi though, one doesn't, um, wash out the other. You can't be overly athletic enough to win at Bianchi. 
and you can't be overly accurate enough to win at Bianchi, you know? Right. So, so I really like how it overlaps that. Excellent. And I, I got to hand it to you. You know, when I got, when I got into PPC, I started kind of reevaluating how everything was, you know, taught and the trying to demystify all the, uh, all the folklore that was out there. And, you know, even down to the gear and all these different things and really, really getting into the minutia of, okay, why, why do we, why do we say this? Why do we use a neck hold, you know, for a, an aiming point? And why, why do we do any number of, of different things? And you were the first guy in those circles that I remember having a conversation the first year we had nationals in Albuquerque. And, uh, you mentioned you were like, yeah, I just spent a month shooting with Rob Latham. And I'm like, whoa, that's like sacrilege, man. Like the guys <laughs> in this community don't like the guys in that kid. Like they, they're, oh, they're all speed and athletes and all this. And we, we're into this surgical accuracy sport. And I'm like, well, maybe this dude's onto something. So talk to that a little bit. Did, um, you know, that, that era when I'm, I'm guessing you were, probably experimenting with everything at the time as well. So tell me how that improved or, or how that lent into your shooting abilities, training with a guy that comes from a, a pure USPSA background. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Robbie and me are really good friends and, and I was lucky enough to be exposed to some, I think the best shooters, not, not, I think I know that I have been exposed to the best shooters in the world. And that doesn't mean that the most known shooters in the world, but the best shooters in the world. And for me, just to be clear, shooting really isn't about the performance of that physical task of pulling the trigger without moving the gun. That is shooting. Right. But if you're going to be really good at it, then you have to be able to perform performance on demand, like, you know, dancing. Um, um, I don't know people to just put out in front of somebody, you know, play your, play your instrument, whatever else it is. There's great musicians that'll never play great in front of a crowd. And there's, uh, you know, you can use that correlation as far as athletes. There's, you know, baseball players that can, you know, they're beast in the cage, but you put them in a real game and they can't hit anything, you know? So performers is really what I've geared myself towards. And Robbie's definitely one of those highest performing guys I've ever seen in all calibers, without a doubt, he is, probably one of not probably he is one of the best gun shooters just firearms enthusiastic and performers that i've ever seen in every platform he could pick up just about anything um uh he drove most of his life towards one thing but um but in sort of this like you said that that journey to try and figure things out why we're doing things how ppc as <laughs> sometimes uh mundane and watching grass grow-esque as a sport that is it that it is right. How does it correlate to law enforcement in the modern day? And that was my big sort of journey. Like how, how is this going to make me more, uh, more effective, a better trainer, a better, a better, uh, a better performer under stress, all those things. And that's what I had to dig into other sports. And when you get into say, say, you know, my relationship with Robbie, I've learned more about PPC shooting from Robbie Latham than I have from Philip Hemphill without a doubt. Wow. Um, because that, but that's not about the, you know, the actual, like you said, minutia of pulling the trigger in a certain position, right? What it boils down to is really what's getting in your way and what stops us from performing. And that's literally just ourselves, right? And, and, and once you dedicate your life to solely one thing, that's the difference between say guys like me or like Philip or like you or whatever, 
Um, people ask Robbie, I've been to this conversation several times with Robbie where somebody comes up and they go, Hey man, why are you better than me? I've got the same gear. I do this. I do that. And Robbie tells him it's beautiful. He's like, number one, I'm just better than you at it. Number two, um, when you're at church, I'm shooting. When you're at your child's graduation, I'm shooting. When you're at work, I'm shooting. When you're uh, doing a honeydew for your wife, I'm shooting, right? All those things, because he has sacrificed all that other stuff in the journey and the sort of the, the, the striving to reach a certain level and understanding of a thing. A thousand years ago, we'd call that noble, right? Right. We would call that a samurai. We'd call that a Buddha. We call that whatever you want to put on it. You know, some guy living up on a hill trying to draw a perfect circle, you know, or whatever else it is. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I love about those types of personalities. I think I'm very much like that, except for I've got all these other draws that we have, you know, the job, uh, operations, all that good stuff. But, uh, you know, to go back to your original question, though, um, how they sort of merge together, what we can learn from each other. You know, once you understand what needs to be done to perform the task you're trying to perform, then what you have to do is just stop getting in the way of that. And what I love about, you know, not just even back in 07, that time I spent time with Robbie, even probably a year and a half ago now, I went and did a week with him in, uh, in Texas uh, at a TTPOA class and just hearing the similarities of how he and I both attack and address the foundations and the principles of shooting are very, very similar. You know, I think that one of the biggest things we have to do in law enforcement and in the civilian world, both when it comes to the proficient use of firearms is we need to separate basic instruction versus advanced. And for the most part, no one really does that. What they do is they say, well, here's your basic application and understanding, right? Side alignment, trigger control, safety, trigger finger placement, blah, blah, blah. And then when it's time for advanced, what do we do? We add movement to it, or we try to dive deeper into a greater understanding of the basic application. And that's just not the way it works. You have to cut the cord at some point to go into an advanced scale. I started about two years ago teaching civilians in my off time. And I found out really quickly that advanced shooting that's kind of a, I don't know if it's a misnomer or it's probably the most misunderstood concept that, and that's, it's endemic throughout the instructor community is like, well, yeah, the basic safety, basic fundamentals, all those things. And then, well, what defines what's advanced and moving and shooting to me that lends more towards the tactics side of things or, but it is a skill set, but it's just an additional skill set. One of the things I try to do is break every single thing. When we go from your, your somebody that's maybe been through the basics of NRA pistol, uh, which for those of you that are listening, it, it's not a bad course, but moving through each one of those skill sets and breaking them down individually and then putting them together and then advanced shooting being, a whole lot of other minutia in that, but we, well, I, I agree with you. There's, there's a, it's a really hard distinction to make between the two things. I still, to this day struggle with, okay, is this too much for a new shooter or is this not enough for somebody that's already got some skills under their belt? Um, and you know, from, from training law enforcement officers, 
it's a whole different ball game when you're training people that are getting paid to be there versus you're training people that are paying to be there. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, it's funny. You know, the um, when you when you when you boil that down, we 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 talk quite a bit about it up here. And like you say, you go back to the sort of the current thing that I've been traveling around through the COVID, and really lucky um, that we took the opportunity again up here at the Advanced Training Center and specifically the branch that I work under, which is the Law Enforcement Safety and Compliance Directorate. And um, I'm in the force modernization branch right now, which is geared towards the modernization of use of force tools, whether it's left lethal or lethal. And, you know, for the first time, CBP really has, I'll tell you right now, the talk about later on, if you want the best gear in law enforcement period. Um, Not that just that I've ever seen. I think that we're in the most advanced scale of, of use of force tools in law enforcement, all coming from CBP, which is pretty awesome. But um, we just transitioned, you know, from 40 to nine, and we changed platforms from a P2000 to a Glock Gen 5, and specifically a Glock 47, um, which had never does not exist for anybody else other than us on our contract. And, and so we have, again, 40,000 plus gun toters. And how do we get them proficient and efficient, or at least as efficient and proficient as they were before with this other lesser of a platform, right? This, this 40 caliber P2000 with a long, hard trigger, you know, and it's a short gun for a sort of a, sort of a big gun demand. And um, it's got an overpressurized round than what we really need. There's all, it's a more difficult gun to shoot overall. And then we give them this better gun with better ammo, but how do we get them to this level that they're already used to? And that's why they asked me to write that course, uh, which is a, which is a two day advanced pistol performance course uh, really just has people driving the gun harder, faster, and further than they ever have before. Um, It's, literally an advanced class, which is what they asked me to sort of do for them. And what I found myself doing in the beginning was just sort of rehashing the same crap of the basic instruction. Right. Mm -hmm. And as I sat down, I started boiling that down. Although a lot of my career has been in competition, the majority of my field career has been cases, right? Mm -hmm. This is the first time in 23 years that I've been out of the field from making arrests, chasing bad guys and, and, and putting together long-term, you know, criminal organizations when I really started boiling it down, what I realized was um, just like math. And I use this, I use this, you know, this, uh, this comparison quite a bit. There's a difference between basic math and understanding of math, being proficient at math, right. And even being advanced somewhat in your understanding at math and radical math theory. Right. Right. I mean, you have to literally, if you're going to figure out a way to get from A to Z faster than anybody ever has, theoretically speaking, right? Time, space, continuum, whatever you want to talk about, you've got to really wash all the other crap and the foundation that you have literally built upon two plus two equals four, two times one equals two, like whatever it is, right? The basic understanding of math, you have to wash it out completely and then start with something radical. You have to figure out what's a better way. That to me is advanced. So if we're going to have a really advanced understanding of basic, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. But if we're going to disconnect from what what has been done previously, not just figure out how good you are, but figure out how good you could possibly be, or if you're better than anybody ever has been in the past, like you got to get radical about that. You have to get outside the box in a safe way. And so I structured that course in a way for the shooter to experience the flaw and the fault and to see it instead of having it verbalized to them. One of the biggest mistakes we make in law enforcement and in firearms is that we use words to draw pictures, to explain to people's brains what their bodies need to perform with. 
it makes no sense whatsoever because I'm speaking English and you're speaking French. <laughs> I'm 47 years old and you're 19, right? Or whatever else it is. Everybody understand. When I say you're jerking the trigger, you're hearing me say something completely different because it's a, it's a completely personalized understanding. Right. <laughs> so what we do is we, 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 we created a two day course where people can, can actually create a flaw where we as instructors, our job is to create the flaw in front of you in a way that you can visually see it. Because once you have eyes, you are a visual learner, period, right? Once you have vision, you are a visual learner. But what do we do? We give somebody a PowerPoint and we say, hey, listen, here's the pie chart, the pie chart that says how you're screwing up your shot, right? If you envision that very famous pie chart, oh. there's two of them, one that says you're healing, you're jerking, whatever. The other one is like, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck, you don't suck right in the yes, middle. Do that. You know, type of thing. Right. Do that. But the reality is you're moving the gun when you pull the trigger. And that's an easy thing for us to say, but you have, your body has to visually see what happens. So when you get out of your car and you, and you walk out on gravel, uneven ground, so to speak, right? And you stumble at first, do you stumble for the next 16 hours when you're walking on that ground or does your body automatically come into balance? Yeah. It comes into balance, right? Yeah. Because you, you look down at the stupid ground and you realize that it's uneven, right? Yeah. And so it fixed itself and we can do that same thing with firearms. We just got to get a little radical in our application in a safe way and stop explaining with words to people and start giving them an experiential connection to how they fix the problem. And in my opinion or my experience, the problem almost immediately fixes with everybody. Almost immediately. Yeah. As my, my old shooting buddy, Bruce used to say, it's funny how that works, isn't it? The, uh, I, t I what, Absolutely. what really, for me, what, uh, what really kind of upended all of my theory about shooting was when I started taking video and slowing it down and looking at different, uh, like you said, different flaws and realizing that, uh, what I'm saying versus what they are doing and perceiving are two completely different things. And it really it really kind of shook me to the core. Like, man, I've been training these people wrong for all these years. And I didn't, and I didn't even realize it until I had this tool. And I don't know that it's so much that it was training them wrong as it was just, I had a new tool to give everybody a deeper understanding of, of what, what was going on. And like you said, they're moving the gun while they're pressing the trigger. And it became much easier to rectify that when you could slow it down at like 20 frames a second, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like that, like you Absolutely. said, you got eyes, you're a visual learner. I can pull you over to my iPhone and go, you see this, that needs to stop. Let's fix this. And consequently people got better faster, which, you know, that's, I feel like that's one of the goals as an instructor, man, I kind of had a feeling this was going to, you know, this conversation was going to toddle deep into the instructor rabbit hole. So <laughs> I was prepared. Well, it's, it's hard when you're I'm living it right now, which is, uh, which is kind of weird and kind of funny. I, I think it's cool. Cause I have fresh eyes on it. I haven't been part of, you know, I've done personal stuff on the private sector side and I've been a fire instructor for within the border patrol and stuff like that. Sure. But you know, as far as dedicating, you know, my entirety to it now, what's awesome is that it comes with 23 years of field experience and the connection between the competition side, the real world side and how they merge together, you know, between the two. And, and 
and, and telling people that, that we're just giving our guys the wrong information. You know, you, you said something that, you know, everything based back on the revolver. The reality is, you know, we are still teaching firearms. I say we as a, as a Royal, we right, right in the culture, the exact same way we did a um, hundred years ago, nothing really has changed, right? We, we may have changed our feet position a little bit. We may have called it a modified versus a non-modified or whatever, and given a different name, but everything really bases around this really key term that really starts to get under my skin all day long. And as an accuracy shooter, people are surprised, right? But when I hear someone say, and again, this is not for the basic application. This is once you've graduated the academy, once you've graduated, you know, and you've gotten on the street, so to speak, or, you, or you've carried a gun, whatever it may be, and it gets to the point, and then people are trying to push you outside your your box a little bit, right? Get you uncomfortable to the point. That's the only place we can excel. We can, we can learn is failure. You learn nothing through success at all. And so you only learn in failure, which becomes pushing yourself a little bit. And then we start to what? We start to go a little faster Then we start to miss. And what do we tell people when they start to miss? Slow down. We tell them to what? Slow down. Slow down, uh. right? Absolutely. And so what I tell people is, okay, if I take a drunk, a solid, like career drunk alcoholic who's 12, 13 years in the bar, right? And I take him out of the bar and I drop him on a deserted island somewhere 30 days later, is he now reformed? Is he no longer an alcoholic? No, I just removed the booze. He still doesn't have self-control. He still doesn't have an understanding of awareness. He still doesn't have done any sort of introspection to stop getting drunk every day. So when I drop him back in the middle of the city, where's he going to go? He's going to go straight back to the bar and get drunk. So being slow doesn't fix your problem no more than removing booze from a drunk fixes, it, fixes <laughs> his problem. I like right? it. So now at a basic level, absolutely, if I need you to hit something so you can see what's going wrong, the, the byproduct is going to be less speed. Get it. Absolutely. But the reality is under stress in the middle of that moment, in an environment that we work in in Americanized law enforcement or American law enforcement, where the vast majority of our conflicts, armed conflicts, are within very close quarters, the first several rounds that come out of that gun are under a high amount of stress with a lot of force that is applied to the trigger. You slam and you jerk and you literally beat the, you beat it like it owes you money for a very short period of time until either the problem goes away or until time catches up with reaction, right? And then everything kind of merges back together and you become back in control of the situation. You get to a better position, right, of opportunity, wherever you are, you move, you get your balance again, whatever it is, then things start to merge together. But we tell people all the time, if you want to go fast, you have to do it slowly, right? Slow is smooth, smooth is, it's a lie. It's a complete misconception. The reality is you got to be able to go as fast as you possibly can, jerk the ever-living crap out of the trigger without moving the gun, right? You just get that, and that is a skill set in and of itself. <laughs> I can't do it at 50 yards. I can only do it at seven, 10, like a close quarter stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But we don't teach that. So what we have to do is start understanding there's a basic introduction there's a basic understanding. There is a, hey, you can balance your checkbook math-wise. You can even run a small business math-wise with a basic understanding of multiplication and division, right? But if you're going to be as good as you possibly can be, then it's going to have to get outside your comfort zone, right? You're going to have to shoot further, shoot faster, and push the gun harder than you have in the past. So, Yeah, I had... Uh... 
I had an occasion to stumble into uh, Robbie Latham at, at SHOT Show in 2018, and a friend of mine was got him cornered in and amongst all the people that were trying to, you know, corner him up and ask him, like, like, what's the nugget? What's the secret? And he says, a friend of mine had been to his class before, so he, he says, hey, what's going on? And he said, I got a question for you. What's all this like jerk and flinch? Tell me about that. Just like, just, just spill it. And Robbie looks at him and he goes, I've been working on jerking and flinching for 40 years. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> and, and I'm like, what? No, you, you can't, <laughs> you can't destroy the altar, which we have built. He's like, like no, right. he's like, no, man. I, it's the faster I jerk the trigger, the better, the, the faster I can, you know, hit what I am shooting at. And if I'm flinching, I'm moving the gun post trigger press or, or post trigger jerk, whatever you want to call to drive the gun back to the center. And he goes, I work on that timing, like to, to the, to an extent that's almost mind numbing. And I, I walked away just like, I, I, it, my earth has been shattered now. I don't know what to do. And, uh, <laughs> and what I started to realize was guys that were high level instructors and high level shooters that's what they were doing, even though they didn't quantify it, even though they weren't able to describe it when they were driving the gun to the performance limit, that's exactly what they were doing. And it was, it was really kind of earth shattering to a lot of people. And, you know, but that's what you get for, you know, corner and Rob Latham at shot show. That's the, that's the slap across <laughs> the face you get and send on your way. But no, <laughs> he was really gracious. Yeah, the about good thing it. is, you know, with him, nope. No matter where he is, whether it's at a Cracker Barrel or a Shot Show, you're going to get a slap in the face. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I emulate that greatly. I think the biggest, one of the biggest disservices we do for our officers specifically, if not our students, right, is to give them a false sense of knowledge and proficiency, and not be honest with them. You know, and and so my oldest son, you know, he's a baseball player. Um, he just got to, he just, uh, you know, he committed to a to a decent to a, to a good D2 program. Um, and it was a long road to get there, you know, as a, as a, as a pitcher, middle infielder plays, plays both ways. He's really done a great job. But one thing I learned really early with the coaches and the grid trainers he's had throughout his life were they were brutally honest. And even at, you know, even at 10 years old and tell him like, Hey man, you suck at this, right? Right. You're sucking right now. You're doing like, this is not working out for you. This is this. And, and, and you, you know, when it's your child, you're like, Whoa, you're breaking his heart. But it was a really, really good service that those coaches did for them. And Robbie, me, other people in that, in the industry that can be honest with our people sort of got to let them know, like, Hey man, this is a, this is a falter. This is, this, this is a, this is a failure point for you, you know? And if you were out serving warrants and kicking doors or not serving warrants, you kicking doors without warrants, Hopefully somebody would come over and pull you in and go, Hey buddy, you're breaking the law here. Right? right. If you're driving through a residential neighborhood at 90 miles an hour for no apparent reason, your partners should say, Hey buddy, you're messing up here. Right. You know, and this is as instructors, we got to tell our people like, this is, you know, this is really where you need to be. Yeah. I grew up in a family of cops, so I was quite used to, uh, <laughs> getting the brutal, honest conversation on the regular, right. you know what I mean? <laughs> And, uh, and I got into martial arts and competition shooting and stuff pretty young. And the guys I always gravitated to were the ones that were like, man, you're not good at this. And it, it was kind of like you were talking about, uh, 
a thousand years ago, we called it noble. And now we call it the glutton for punishment, you know, like, right. it's like, yeah. Oh, well you suck at this. Okay. Well help me not suck at this. All right. Well here, carry my range bag to my truck and we'll have a conversation. <laughs> no, I, but, <laughs> but you know, there's, there's almost a rite of passage kind of thing that goes on, goes along with that. And, uh, that was something that, especially in, in, uh, the shooting world. It was like the guys that were really on top of their game didn't have much time for you until you really showed a lot of devotion to, to trying to learn and understand. And it's hard as a, as a law enforcement firearms instructor, when you have to go out and you have to teach people that are some of them, maybe, maybe their interest in the gun is it looks, it matches the pin they put in their shirt, you know, and, and trying to get, instill at least some level of proficiency in them. So it's a, a constant battle, I guess you could say, or a teeter teetering teeter totter battle battle of, uh, this will save your life or not. So you might want to pay attention versus the guy that's like, teach me the, teach me the, the bigger understanding, you know? So, well, yeah, I think that, you know, on that side for law enforcement, it's, it's pretty interesting. We talk about this quite a bit as well, which is, um, uh, how to get our people to want to improve on their own, right? Be self-driven. And, and that, and just like you said before, there's a difference between somebody who's mandated to be at training versus somebody who's paying their own money to be at training. And we see this all the time. And one mistake that I think we make in law enforcement as instructors is um, that, that we, we, we take that as sort of a way out, so to speak of our personal investment. You know, if you're running a business and you're going to be able to, you know, pay your rent or your mortgage by hosting classes and doing all these things, you're motivated to go out there and give someone a good, a good uh, experience that they're going to come back for a repeat customer. Right. But our law enforcement instructors don't have that same worry. They don't have to worry if somebody's showing up next quarter, next, whatever in service day, whatever your agency calls it. So we sort of fall through the cracks there a little bit on our own. Um, we, we don't really display what I call or what I call what is called sort of that level of reciprocity where you have an investment in another person at zero benefit to yourself. And part of the problem there is that we do all of our firearms instruction where at a f- on the range. Yeah. Right. At, yeah. We, we wait for the range day. We wait, we wait for the range day and we do all of it there, but you could literally integrate in 15 minutes every other day, 15 minutes a week, 30 minutes into a shift, whatever else it is, bring your people in with the modern tools that you have. You know, so like on our Glock contract, we have the, uh, you know, the, the red Glock trainer pistols, uh-huh. right. Um, which are more or less a cert gun without the laser, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Um, has a reciprocating slide, has a resetting trigger, all that good stuff. Magazine, everything's the exact same. It's just not a gun. Um, you got NLTAs. You have cert trading pistols and things like that out there, right? Uh, Circus came out with a new rifle version uh, mm-hmm. where the cert pistol inserts directly into, you know, to the rifle platform. There's no reason why you can't do the hard work, which is the repetition, the understanding, the fundamentals away from the range, right? Oh, completely. And then agree. when you get to the range, and, and but, but we don't do that. We say, okay, this is range day as instructors because, again, we're still teaching it the same way we did 100 years ago, the institutional sort of, culture is still in us because a hundred years ago, guys didn't have those opportunities. You know, we're doing some cool stuff up here. The firearms training branch up here is you take reflective tape and tape it on your targets and use a cert pistol. 
Mm-hmm. So you get, when you hit that reflective tape, you get a direct flashback of your laser to you, right? So you know you get instantaneous readback or feedback of your hit, nice. right? Accuracy-wise. So we got, you know, the exact same sights on the gun that we do there, the Amerigo agent sights, got the exact same setup, everything else, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you have little training aids like that you can put together. You can do it anywhere. And guys going to go home, yeah, they got to deal with their kids. They got to be busy. They got stuff going on. But we as instructors can just pull in three or four, one or two, whatever it is, guys at a time and say, hey, man, 10 minutes of your time, guys, five minutes, whatever else it is, have structured training ready. So we are building in the life skills without them even knowing it, right? Yeah. They're all, well, I guess I got to go do another 15 reps for Brian before I leave for, you know, for the (laughs) day, you know, whatever else it is. Yeah, you do. But guess what? 10 days, I get 150 reps out of you. I got 150 reps of drawing the gun, presenting the gun, getting the gun into alignment, right? And then pulling the trigger without disturbing that alignment in a way that needs no safety equipment whatsoever. And we're done. If I do that a thousand times, I get 15,000 reps out of you, right? Right. And we can do that. But instead of like, oh, management doesn't give us enough time to train, you know, there's all these arguments that can be had. But as instructors, we just need to be better at investing in our people for no for no return. Yeah. People, a lot of times I've had the last couple of years between teaching and doing a podcast and, and managing a belt, the belt manufacturing company and all that. It's like, you know, my, my range time is pretty limited and people ask me, they're like, well, how do you stay proficient? I'm like, well, there's a, there's a thousand and one things you can do away from the range to maintain skill sets. And then your range time becomes pointed to let's either practice a, you know, a, one of these skill sets or let's find where a failure point in one of these skill sets are. And it doesn't take much ammunition to do that. And it doesn't take a lot of time. If you do training on the periphery out here, or practice on the periphery with, uh, you know, with either training aids or some sort of dry practice, whatever you want to call it. But once you hit a certain level of proficiency, it it's not hard to keep those skills maintained. It's kind of, I tell people, it's kind of like your, your car, you know, you've got to go take your driver's test one time, but you have to do all these other things all the time, constantly. Well, you're not training for a test. You're just practicing these skill sets over and over and over again. Best part of the podcast is getting to talk to people for a little more extended period of time, other than maybe social media or something like that, or really get into their head or have an in-depth conversation. And especially it's, it's really bad when uh, it's, it's two guys that have some lengthy time under behind them as uh, firearms instructors, because the rabbit hole is deep. Oh Yeah. Yeah. It is deep. And then with every day, you know, every day new gear coming out and new <laughs> new options and, and new everything. There's just there's just so much to it. So there is. So final thought, competition versus defensive shooting. Just if there's any final thought, training, whatever you want. Yeah. So, you know, competition versus versus, you know, sort of the real world, so to speak. Listen, um, number one, the real world is stress. It is it is it is number one, identifying problems as early as you possibly can and i and then reacting to those problems as soon as you can in the way that you have to right that's really what it boils down to 
And a lot of that comes from sort of a clarity of mind, like I said, and, and calmness under stress. I, I, I use this quite a bit. I say everybody knows these great fighters, especially in our in our culture, right? You know, guys that are great fighters, they're great boxers, are great field, they're ground fighters, MMA guys, whatever it is, right? How often do those guys get into a fight? And it's very rare. Our right. best fighters rarely get into a fight. Our best shooters rarely get into a gunfight. And I don't think that that's by coincidence. I think that's because they have a great understanding and um, confidence in the skill set that's sitting there for them. And they're not so urgent to freak out to something that they don't need to. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so the better we get at something, i.e. stress mitigation is going to make us better in the real world. Competition makes me better because of how I have to handle the stress. The biggest benefit of all the championships I've ever won. The only benefit of those was because it gave me confidence and I had to go perform on demand and deal with the stress but I only learned that through the failures, right? If I've got a, I guess, if you were, if you were to add it all together somewhere about 20 national championships, right? Yeah. And if we're at 20 national championships over 23 years, let me tell you, I've lost more than I've won without a doubt. Uh, local matches, shooting demos, you name it, whatever else it is. And that's learning to be that, you know, that, that performer out there in front of people. I tell people right now, my job is to travel around and make a fool of myself in front of you. That's what I'm going to do. And if you're an instructor and you're not out there standing and performing in front of your students in a way that makes you fail, then you are not pushing yourself to the limits. And we have to be able to do that. Competition teaches me that side of it. And then you have to let go of that, right, to understand the real world. I think if you're going to be great at one, you've got to be good at the other. I know you've you've been uh, involved in the, the enforcement side for 23 plus years, right? Right. So probably served a number of warrants, been in a number of in, intensely dangerous situations, right? Like the adrenaline dump sure. situations, right? How would you equate that to the nerves of stepping up on the seven yard line at the NPSC knowing I've got 150 rounds to get this done? Yeah, right. absolutely. So, so I, I will, I will take the lion over the spider all day long. Right. And that's, that's, that's how I, that's, that's my analogy. I equate that all day long. And this is our culture. We will take the lion in the, in the arena over the spider in your bed that you don't know where it is all day long. We will charge forward in that known threat. Right. But the unknown, the, what if I mess this up is so much more inherently (laughs) guys are more stressed out on their claw shooting with their buddies over who's going to buy lunch and who's, how they're going to look bad in front of their, their, their peers they're more stressed out about that than they are about what goes on in the street every day. And it's, it's funny how that affects us in that way. Um, but it does. So I will, so, so the stress, and, and I will say this again about Bianchi, you know, when you're in contention for winning the Bianchi cup, and I remember, okay, so one of my first years I won, uh, so I won at Bianchi, it was me and Jerry Mitchlack that were both up there. Robbie had been, sort of got himself, I don't know, so he had a malfunction, whatever it was, he wasn't in the running. And we're going to the mover event, and I was, I think, 30 points up. I had a 30-point lead going into the mover. And if you ever watched the Bianchi Cup stuff on TV or if you've been there, when you walked out of the mover by yourself, there's a camera crew behind you, shooting USA, other people set up cameras, blah, blah, blah. 
and you walk up there by yourself and you have to do it by yourself in front of, there's a crowd behind you watching, blah, 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 blah. I learned more about stress mitigation and competition and performing in seven and a half minutes than I did in 23 years of competition or being a cop. <laughs> if you ask Robbie to this day, and I will tell you, it's very true. How do you stop the nerves when you're at the plates or when you're doing this, or you're doing that? And the answer is you don't. I still want to vomit every single time I get up there. It's still there all the time. And that's how you know it's doing its job. That's how you know you're still in it. Because if you don't feel that, then you're doing something wrong, you know? Right. Well, man, I'm going to roll us out. I appreciate your time. If you want to hang out for a few minutes. All right. That was Rob Vadis, episode number 22. I think we're going to call this one, How Do You Stop the Nerves? You don't. Reminder, check out today's sponsor, ccwsafe.com front slash offduty10 for a 10% discount on your membership. EDC Belt Company at edcbeltco.com and Rangetech Bluetooth Shot Timers at rangetechtimer.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.